So let's dive into the sermon. A couple, um, more than a decade ago, in fact, I had the privilege of listening to uh, Dr. Arch Hart, who was the uh, a prof at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he was a, he was a, a, a lecturer, professor of psychology, and he spoke of the profound shift in thinking in psychological understanding and therapy. And this was based on extensive research into human development and in particular, and back at that time, what was really groundbreaking stuff in the development of and the mapping of the brain. And, uh, and one of the questions they were asking is, okay, so we, we started to get a better understanding of how the brain works and its neural pathways and all the different pieces and all that research. But are there environmental factors that inhibit or promote the healthy development of our minds, of our brains, literally. And uh, once our brains have become developed and, as it were, have developed their, their responses and all that kind of stuff, can they really be changed? Or have they been schooled and programmed? In one sense, they were asking something that Paul says is possible in Romans 12 too. Uh, can a mind be renewed? <laughs> you know, Paul, he says, don't be conformed to... Uh, the image or the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so can neural pathways be established even in mature adults, even in those older, so that when a trigger comes, they actually naturally respond differently. So they've had one way of behaving and something comes their way and this is how they've coped with it. This is who they've been. This is what they've done. Can they actually learn to really be, as it were, almost like different people because they're responding fundamentally differently even in the trigger moments. And the overwhelming answer was yes, absolutely. Which if you think of where psychology was 50 years ago, this is like, he said, this is like an earthquake because we were all into behaviorism and conditioning and all that kind of stuff. And if you don't get the conditioning right, well, sucks to be you. And if your environment isn't great, you're in big trouble because that's what's formed and shaped you. And suddenly these guys are going, wait a minute, in the contemporary search for understanding in the field of psychology, this is atomic which, by the way, this whole field is not mine, uh, my speciality at all, but Dr. Archhart says he went on to explain. And remember, the research was, is there a critical environmental factor that actually helps this to happen? They know it can. And he said, absolutely, they have found a really, really key context. And it's the concept of what they have come to call a safe place or a safe haven. So what does it mean that the development of our minds, our actual thinking and the way we respond, the brain itself, our psychological condition is profoundly influenced by whether we have a place of refuge where you can turn to for safety. Deep, deep within yourself, you know there's a secure base. And the interesting thing is that as they looked at this, they found it was not just refuge, but it was launch. That when you have the safety, you can, as it were, go into that place, but it actually becomes the place from which you re-engage life, a safe haven. And then Dr. Arch Hart, who was at a theological seminary, sort of like 
describes the exhilaration and the thrill and the excitement of cresting this rarefied summit of uh, sort of like academic discovery only to find a band of cheerful theologians teasing them for taking so long to get there. Uh, and some of these stuff has been developed much further. So some of you know about Caroline Leaf and the work that she's done and stuff that she's published. And and it's literally about how some in, – in many ways we get to work on new thinking. So this morning I want to look at this picture of a safe haven, which is the catalyst, as it were, for or, – or, or, or the critical ingredient, should I say. And so we, I want to go to Psalm chapter 18 and we're just going to pick out a few verses starting at verse 1. The context of this is really interesting um, it's one of the longest introductions to the Psalms that we have and written into the text that says, for the director of music of David, the servant of uh, the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of the song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and the hand of Saul. And he said, so that's the context. He's faced years and years of relentless opposition, persecution, danger. And he writes the following or sang the following. I love you, Lord. I love you, Yahweh. My strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn or the strength of my salvation. My stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. See that picture? Now we see, and he expands over the next several verses, just what it is to run into the safe place. But if we go to verse 30, we see the sense of the launch coming up. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's words, the Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. There we've got that idea. For who is God besides the Lord? Who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. And then we start moving out. He says, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield. Your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. The world looks at David at the point that he wrote this. He's king. He's, he's, he's ruling. He's, and he says, Lord, it was your help. Your help. Everything I've got is your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. And so having faced this prolonged danger and threat for more than 10 years of his life, under constant threat from King Saul, whose hatred for David uh, consumed him, twisted him, even from the enemies of Israel who rightly regarded this Israelite warlord as a dangerous military threat. David isn't safe in the cities. He's not safe at home. He's not even safe in bed next to his wife. He isn't safe in places of worship, Saul massacres, an entire village of priests simply because they gave David some stale bread. 
The only place where he finds some safety and some rest is in the wild wilderness in the desert of Engedi and in the wild, rocky, barren, mountainous areas above the Dead Sea. And even then, Saul will set out on excursions and try and hunt him down in these remote places of refuge. He has one ambition, to kill David. And so David is living like a nomadic outlaw. But even in this place of constant threat, he has one thing that he discovers cannot be taken from him. I love you, Yahweh, my strength. Like you just can't go into someone and take away that confidence. <laughs> you can do everything on the outside, but when their confidence and when their hope is grounded and rooted in the Lord, I love you, Lord, my strength. And then, you know, just imagine being in that wild wilderness of rock and erosion. There's barely a plant around you. And he looks, and you kind of say, this is absolute nothingness. And he looks at the stuff that there is, not the stuff that there isn't. And he says, well, God is like that rock. God is like that mountain. God is like that refuge. God is like that high place. God is like that stronghold. And even when anyone else could see absolutely nothing, his faith says, well, <laughs> in the nothing that you see, I still see God. He is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock and him I take refuge. He's my shield. This word for shield was the, the idea of a ruling sovereign. It, it, it was a, almost like when you've got a person who covers you. That word for shield, it is the word for shield, but it has the sense of being a person who's your shield rather than just some leather or, or something else. The horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And so in this barren wilderness, wild place, David looks and sees God. And one of the things to do is when your heart is set on God is let yourself see God in the most unlikely situations, the most unlikely context. As David looks at this landscape that will not wither, all the erosion around it, and he says, Lord, you don't bend, you don't give up. I see you. You are solid. You stand tall when everything else gives way. And, and David, by the way, is in a powerful spiritual tradition here. That when it's difficult to hear and see God in the community around you because the community around him pretty much failed and run away and he was living with a bunch of misfits he finds God in the hands of God's creation I mean we know that he wrote Psalm 8 for example oh Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth and he recognizes God's work in the, the testimony of the children but he talks about looking at the moon and the stars and he can't help but get spiritual. <laughs> but what is man? What are, what are people that you even think about us, yet you've made us higher? And he suddenly understands out of creation his place in God's order again. One of the things to do when there's nothing is let ourselves see God even in the creation he has made. So David for example, in Psalm 8, is humbled by his smallness, his own smallness. But in this place, he finds the faith to connect 
what seems to be impossible situations in absolute barren wilderness back to God. And some of our most powerful insights about the nature of God will come in what seems to be the most hostile and wild places. When you let your faith push through and hold on in wilderness times. Something happens inside of us when we allow that to happen. I've been sitting with Romans chapter 5 and the first eight verses for a while. I got to preach it at Chad and Candace's wedding and loved doing that. But verse 3 has been standing out for me. Even so, we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And, and we can be unafraid of our sufferings, <laughs> although we don't want them. And nobody wants suffering. But there's something in Paul that he understands in this moment. You see, what he says is that suffering produces perseverance. In other words, in the face of the wilderness, in the face of trouble, you resolve that you're not giving up. And the interesting thing he says that if your faith will persevere, something else will happen for you. You will develop character. You see, when we're tempted to give up, we don't want to say, oh, you know, I, I, Lord, I need more faith. What we tend to say is, Lord, the problem is too big. To change the metaphor to Matthew 7, we don't, when, when the storms come on our lives, we don't examine where we've built our foundations and where we've built. Are we built on the word? We blame the severity of the storm. It's easy to blame the severity of the storm. In other words, to externalize the responsibility for our response. Well, if you faced what I faced, you'd also give up on God. But if you will persevere, if you will in the face of the test, Jesus, Matthew chapter 13, tells of the seed that goes into the ground and some of it doesn't even get to go in, but some goes in, but it hits that, that hard rocky layer and when, when testing and trial comes, it gives up. That's the second one, the half-hearted space. And, and what David is doing here in our reading and what happens again and again in Scripture, whether Romans 5 or Matthew 13 or Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, is that when your faith is being tested, it needs to become a, a muscle that just gets better at heavy lifting. I mean, one of the sports I don't watch at the Olympics is weightlifting. I just don't know why you'd make yourself suffer like that. But, but, but the, you know, the thing is, is, is that you have to overcome the resistance to build the capacity to do that kind of heavy lifting. Your faith is like a muscle. It's not going to go from zero to a hundred. It's going to do lifting and lifting and lifting and lifting and lifting. And it's when you persevere that something happens inside of you, you develop character. And out of that comes hope. Out of that refusal to lay down, as it were, your faith, in the midst of suffering comes perseverance. What's perseverance? You just hold on. You just hold on. You're not going to give up. You're not going to throw in the towel. You're not going to walk away. You hold on. And something changes inside of you. 
the neural pathways move because you have a safe place that you're not giving up on. And your character changes. Perseverance produces character. And then in spite of your circumstances, you're walking around with hope as the defining thing about your life. It's not because of your circumstances. Paul says it's in spite of that. And this hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame because God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. So, for example, we can read these words in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. Even youths grow tired and weary, young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord or wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So let me just bring out a few few little application points. <laughs> Number one, you can trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord. And I say this whether things are going well or things are tough or things are easy or whatever, you can trust the Lord. You can trust his love. Thanks, Michelle. You can trust his breakthrough. You can trust his provision. You can trust the Lord. And sometimes we don't get the answer. How long did David have to pray before this thing stopped? And so we may have to wait. Our timing isn't always God's timing. But we can trust him. And so David has a testimony after more than a decade in danger. He presses himself into the rock. Years and years ago, I was a youth leader and my pastor's daughter and I, and she was a literally, was sitting on some rocks at Betty's Bay when I heard a scream from above and, and we were, and, and it was my pastor's wife. She just saw this huge wave. Now the waves were already massive. She saw this huge, huge wave just, and we had been slightly unsighted. And the sky, literally like those trees behind you, just became filled with a surging white water. And, and we were definitely going to get hit by this wave. And so I pinned Kari to the rock next to me, and I dug my hands into the crevice of the rock, and we just held on. And after lots of noise and wetness and rumblings and thunder, the rock was there when the water washed away, and so were we. And then we got the heck out of there. <laughs> I mean, we got a big fright. But the reality is, is if you press into the rock, you can trust the rock. Lord, you're my rock. You're my, you're my strength. So something in my thinking, even in those trigger moments when the news comes, I train my heart to say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Which means, secondly, not only can I trust him, but I can relax my defenses. Because if I'm the, you know, I can just let the fear go. Because I'm not the one who has to come up with every answer, solve every problem, and deal with every threat. If it's up to me, we're in big trouble. 
Now, this is not a guarantee that things won't happen. You know, we say, okay, if it must be God, then, 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 you know, why did the accident happen? Why did someone get sick? God, why didn't you do your job and protect us? Well, one of the things is that if we have this transactional relationship with God that says, God, I'll only trust you when you look after me. Well, that's not much of a relationship at all. You see, one of the things that's going to happen during this time is that when we go into the wilderness place, when we face threat, when the challenge is upon us, is God is dealing with taking down, knocking out our false hopes, our false strongholds, the, the fake refuge, the things we want to rely on that he wants to show. Your bank balance isn't going to save you. Your exercising neurotically at the gym is not going to be a health protection for you. Your, your friendships or your connections or your political power or whatever else you think you're going to rely on, believe me, that rock is going to crumble. And God is doing you a favor by knocking it away. So why don't you break them down yourself? Why don't you throw them away? These idols of false trust. So we can trust him. We can relax and we can find rest. We really can. Sabbath is a beautiful rhythm, and I'm not going to re-preach a series we did about nearly three years ago. Can you believe it? The rest of your life. But we saw there that inability to rest is deeply rooted in an inability to trust. Psalm 91 verse 1, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. David again has these words, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He struggles with original lyrics sometimes, but you know what? He's making a point. <laughs> I can rest in his shadow. I can, I can rest in his shadow. You can rest in his shadow. But then David shows us that we can step out again in faith. He makes my feet like the deer. I stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bamboo. <laughs> my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Like it was almost unthinkable in those days that someone could do that. But that's the amount of resistance he sees being able to overcome. This is what his faith is. This is a faith statement. And he realizes, Lord, your help has made me great. There is a broad path for my feet. You see, David is not going to finish life being defined by being on the run or in the desert. His refuge has become his launching point. And that literally played out in his life. And David went from the desert into, as it were, uh, Jerusalem to rule and from Jerusalem to the whole nation. And so his harbor in the storm becomes the place of provision for the great voyage. Isn't that a beautiful picture? His harbor in the storm becomes a provision for his great voyage. You see, his 
retreat is strategic, not permanent, because his spirit is defined by faith, not fear, and his assignment is determined by his calling, not his circumstances. You want that again? His retreat has been strategic, not permanent. When you run away to God, and sometimes that's the absolute right thing to do, you don't run away forever. Once you reach him, you can stop running. His retreat has been strategic, not permanent, because his spirit is defined by faith and not fear. And his assignment is determined by his calling and not his circumstances. Which means this morning that this can have radically different applications even for us right here. The meaning of the passage is the same. It's not changed, but its application depends on where you are in location to God and in location to life's challenges. Some of us this morning, the Lord's literally calling us to run into his arms. Run to him for refuge right now. That's all he wants you to do. He wants you to know that he's your safe place. He's your safe haven and that you can find in him the rest that your soul seems unable to find anywhere else. This is not time to trust on all the other rocks and fortresses that you've built for yourself over the years. This is the time to abandon those things and run for God. And it's his gift to you that you will find him sufficient for everything and that you will leave those other things behind. It's just this beautiful picture. Deuteronomy, Moses prays underneath of the everlasting arms. Sometimes we see ourselves in the hands of God, but maybe today, and this is what came to me as I was praying, that you're in the arms of God. You're in the arms of God. You run to him. He is your refuge. But for others, it's time to launch. You know God is this. But he wants you to show a world. He wants, you, he wants people to see through your life. That having found this refuge, having discovered a new way literally of thinking, (laughs) having your mind reset and reprogrammed, you can engage with a different heart and a different spirit and be a gift to the world around you. And so God's saying to us this morning, it's not I'm going to leave you, it's not you're on your own. But he is saying, come, let's step out together. What's that thing that you see that you're longing will happen in our church? What's that thing you see that you're praying will happen in our city? What's that thing that you see that you're longing for in our country? Sometimes you've got to leave it and run for refuge. But David carried an anointing to rule a nation, and he was never going to be at peace until his assignment had become his calling, had become his experience. And so from refuge, he steps into purpose. And so for some of us today, literally stepping into that place, 
may be at your work. It may be in your home. It may be, you know, you might be at um, Pinewood Village or whatever it is, and you've got a heart for people there, and God is stirring something. It may be in the school context. It may be wherever, and the Lord is saying, you've found your safe place. Now let's step out. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. You thank you for saints, uh, fallen, flawed saints like David, but nevertheless can show us what it is to lean into you, to trust you. Thank you for your word. So Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. So just receive the word of God. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Your words are spirit, they are life. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, for those who just right now are running into your arms, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you enfold them, you envelop them, you receive them, you embrace them. Lord, I bless their thoughts. I bless their thoughts. I bless the trigger emotions to become healthy and wise and filled with hope because they're in your arms. That literally the impulses that trigger from their lives are being formed by you. And Lord, for those that actually this is now a season of new beginnings. Lord, thank you for your provision. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for refuge. But Lord, may they go to their assignment in faith. May they, as was said of David, fulfill your purposes for their generation. May we do that, Lord. May we do that. Fulfill your purposes for our generation. In Jesus' name. Amen.